Gospel of Mark, chapter 40, or chapter 40, whew, uh, chapter 12. I want to finish up this chapter. This chapter also marks the end of Jesus' teachings in the temple. So we'll see next week he, he moves outside the temple and a whole uh, new uh, round of teaching uh, begins on chapter 13. But for this morning, Mark chapter 12, look at it with me here. It's already been read for us this morning, but we'll go ahead and uh, look at it and read it again. Mark chapter 12, verse 38 says this. And in his teaching he said, Beware the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces, and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of the poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this morning your love and grace and mercy and kindness to us, undeserving uh, of any of it. And yet you've decided in your eternal decrees to give them to us, to make us a people. Us who were once not a people, you have now made a people uh, in Christ. And so we thank you for that this morning. I pray, Lord, as we consider uh, this last teaching within the temple of Jesus and the gospel according to Mark, whether our eyes would be open, we would have understanding that we would be on the lookout and guard against this type of behavior. Father, I pray you help us see the text clearly today. Uh, we need your spirit to uh, enliven our understanding, to give us new hearts, of new understandings of this text. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The main point of this passage that Jesus is teaching is this. Jesus is contra contrasting for us the scribes with the widow in order to show us that the intentions of the heart are worth infinitely more than the external signs. The intentions of the heart are worth infinitely more than the external signs. But before we dive into this text this morning, we, we need to understand something because anytime the scriptures present for us Folks who we should not be like. Um, if any time the text presents us, uh, don't live like this person, rather live like this person, what you and I are prone to do is to be like, well, yeah, I'm not like that person. So I'm already a step ahead of those guys. Like, that's the, like when we read the scriptures, if we're not careful, we'll always paint ourselves on the right side of Jesus. And therefore, we'll miss what Jesus is saying. So, like, if you read this text, right, Jesus is talking about the scribes here, uh, and these lovers of, of, of being seen, and you say to yourself, like, that's not me, so he's obviously not talking about me. We should be careful. We should work our way slowly through this text, that perhaps maybe he is talking about you. But let's look at it here. Verse 38. And in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes. Jesus begins this message by giving a warning 
to those he is teaching, right? These are the crowds within the temple that have uh, now following him around inside the temple. These are the ones who have heard him teaching uh, his interactions with the Pharisees and the Herodians and the Sadducees. He's, they've heard all of this teaching, and this is just another outworking of that teaching. He's, he's just continuing to teach within the temple. But he, he opens this teaching with a, with a message, this, this, this beware of the scribes. Now, now, who are these people? Who are those people? These scribes were part of the religious elite. They claimed to know God, and they claimed to love God. These are the ones who were praised because of their great intellect. They copied the manuscripts. They taught the Torah. They interpreted the Torah for all the common folks. They functioned as wise sages. They functioned as elders. They functioned as judges and members of the Sanhedrin throughout the Gospel of Mark. These scribes are presented as teachers of the people who have religious authority with particular authority over matters of how the Jewish people ought to interpret the Old Testament, that is, the law. And this is one reason we constantly see Jesus' teaching as being more astonishing to the crowds because he taught as one who had greater authority than the scribes. It's these scribes who Mark continually points us to as being in opposition to Jesus. We see that the scribes are the ones who question his authority. Mark 11, verse 27, it says, They came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him and said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you authority to do them? They questioned his authority. But they also uh, questioned his authority way back in Mark chapter 2 on, on, is he allowed to forgive sins? Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak this way? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? They questioned his authority to forgive sins, but they also questioned where his power comes from. Mark chapter 3, the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul. And by the prince of demons, he casts out the demons. They question why he eats with sinners and tax collectors. In that same Mark chapter 2 passage, the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with them? They also question his approach to tradition. Mark chapter 7, and the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? All of these are negative aspects. Mark intends for us to see these in opposition to Jesus and his ministry. They are, these are the negative aspects of the scribes. But, but we should also remember that these are the scribes who have a strong belief in the Old Testament. They were concerned about the correct interpretation of Scripture. As we looked at two weeks ago, we've seen that one of the scribes, after hearing the arguments Jesus was making uh, with the uh, other religious elite, he approaches Jesus, and what was the question he asked him? Which one of these commandments is the most important of all? These were men who were intimately aware of the writings of God. They, they knew the word of God, for most of them had probably memorized most of the Torah. These are the people who out of all the people should have known God, and yet they missed it. This brings me to the first point this morning. It is possible to be knowledgeable about this book 
and miss the main point of it. It is possible to be knowledgeable about this book and miss the main point of the book. Think about it. Place yourself inside the temple on this day where what appears to be this normal dude named Jesus who's walking around teaching folks. You don't know how to read, most likely. You're an average person. And so you hear this man teaching about the law of God, and then you see him getting these confrontations or these arguments with the people who you've looked up to your entire life. The scribes and the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, were, these, were, these were God's people. These were, these were God's representatives on earth. These were the people who knew the law of God. These were the people who knew the sacred writings. These were the people who would have taught you in your synagogue since you were a boy were a young lady and here is Jesus saying watch out for them watch out for for those ones because they've known about this book and they've missed the point of the book you see so many times when we read the scriptures especially as Jesus is teaching what we do is we, we we always place the people with whom Jesus was teaching to be on the right side of Jesus right so, so as opposed to those whom Jesus was teaching against. Let me, let me explain what I mean. I think this is true how most of us uh, sometimes approach the scripture. Uh, but what I know for sure, for certainty, that's the way I've approached the scriptures before. I think we often read the Bible through our Western eyes, which kind of give to this anonymous crowd within Mark this American revolutionary flavor. Right? Let me show you. So, so that when Jesus is having these theological arguments with the religious elite, we assume the crowd is in the background going, yeah, that's right, get them, Jesus. That's how, we, that's how we read the scriptures. So that when Jesus is having these arguments, we assume that the crowd is in Jesus' corner from the beginning. As if they've all been secretly wishing that somebody would stand up to these elitists, know-it-alls, and put them in their place. And yet I'm not entirely convinced that that's the posture of the crowd here. In fact, I think one of the reasons the crowd was continually amazed at Jesus going beast mode on these scribes and on these Pharisees and on the Sanhedrin was not because they had such little respect for the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, but because they had tremendous respect for these guys. To see them continually getting taken to task on the area where they had been thought to be dominant in understanding and teaching the scriptures and the commandments of God, it just blew their minds when they heard it. It wasn't because they disrespected the scribes. It was because they had so much respect for them that they were continually blown away by Jesus' teaching. The point for us today is to understand that it is possible to be knowledgeable about this book and miss the main point of the book. It is possible to have memorized the Ten Commandments and missed the point behind the commandments. Namely, that we are to love God and love our neighbor. So, to memorize them and repeat them back, but to never actually walk them out is an exercise in missing the point. Right? Francis Chan tells this example of uh, modern-day Christianity where uh, we've got this obsession of memorizing the scriptures and yet never actually walking it out. He, he kind of relates that to an example uh, of, a, of a mom and a dad telling their child to, to go into the room and uh, into the room and clean the room. The mom and dad they leave, come back fully expecting uh, the son or daughter to have cleaned the room, uh, and, and yet when they go into the room, it's still in disarray. And the parents look down at the child and they say, "What what have you done?" They said, "Don't worry, mom and dad. 
I've memorized what you wanted me to do. You want me to clean my room. I get it. You want me to, to clean my room. Listen, I memorized that. You should be proud of me. Not only have I memorized it, but I've also analyzed every single word. Like, you don't want me to clean the kitchen. You want me to clean my room. You don't want me to make it more of a mess. You want me to clean it. They say, well, that's good. Well, why didn't you clean it? You see, it's possible to be knowledgeable about what the Bible wants you to do and to not do it. It's possible to read this book and miss the point of the book. To which the question that should then come to our minds relating to this text is, how do we know if those around us, or more specifically for this text, how do we know, do we know that those who teach us actually know the main point or not? Keep reading. Look at verse 38. And in his teaching, he said, Beware the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the best places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. So Jesus here gives the warning. Watch out. Be on guard. That's the primary point he's trying to drive home for the crowd here. Watch out for these scribes. Be on the lookout. And then he gives a list of things that are characteristic of the type of people that you and I should be on guard against. Jesus notes six things here. Look at it. So number one, it's a, to, they, they like to walk around in long robes. Number two, they like greetings in the marketplaces. Number three, they like to have the best seats in the synagogues. Number four, have the best place of honor at feasts. Number five, they devour widows' houses. And number six, they pretend to be something that they are not by making long prayers. I think we can classify these six signs into to three different buckets on which we should be on the lookout for and guarding against. The first is a desire to be seen. A desire to be seen. Look at the first four signs here Jesus gives us. Like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at feasts. You see these long robes that the scribes would wear were basically, were, were basically a prayer shawl, only these ones were, uh, were different than the normal prayer shawls of other people. These were full lengths, tassels on the ends of them. And you knew from seeing it that this person was different than you. Full length, robes almost, these, these prayer shawls, and it was these robes that the scribes would wear, and they would be seen, and they would be admired by others. And Jesus says they wanted to be seen by others. They wanted people to look at them and see them as special. And they wanted the greetings in the marketplace. It was common in those days that if a scribe passed by your booth in the marketplace, you were to stand. And by doing so, you were paying honor and respect. And when these scribes would walk by your merchandise booth in their long robes, you would stand. And their hearts would burn within them because you had seen them. Now they felt validated. Now they have felt seen. Now they felt as if their lives in some way matter. And they love it. They relish in it. And Jesus says, beware of those people. Notice always that Jesus says they, they wanted to be seen. So not only that they wanted to be seen by their attire and being seen in public, but they wanted the best seats. They wanted the best seats in the church is the synagogue and at important gatherings. The best seats in the synagogues, Jesus is mentioning here, were the seats right up front. 
where everyone would be seen, where, where they could be seen by everyone and where they could see everyone. They wanted to be associated with those in power so that when people seen them at these feasts, these whoever's feasts, whoever's hosting it, they want to be on the left or the right to be seen by them so that people would think more highly of them than they ought to be thought of. The scribes longed for, desperately needed to be seen by others. That's the, that's the first bucket. The second bucket is this destruction of others. Notice in verse 40, Jesus says, who devour widows' houses. Now, theologians, scholars, commentators on this text are, are not quite sure in what way Jesus has in mind here of how the scribes are devouring widows' houses, but they can all agree that the end game of what these folks are doing, what Jesus is referring to here, is that those who are some of the most vulnerable of society are getting taken advantage of. Commentators range from the meaning here of, of uh, financial ruin to Ponzi schemes. Jesus is saying, the point here is that we should beware of those who are leaving behind them a wake of devastation. This type of devastation and destruction of others, though, is most likely not obvious. You see, it is the widow who is left devastated here, not the affluent or the powerful of society. The point being that the ones we should be on the watch out for will have a pattern of preying on and destruction of the weak around them. Thirdly, this third category is this deceptive piety. There in the middle of verse 40, and for a pretense, make long prayers. This last category of the scribes is the use of, of piety to deceive people. Jesus says that they make long prayers as a pretense. They, they, they are pretending. They're hypocritical. Which relates back to wanting to be seen by others, and yet it stands apart from it because of the way in which it is being done. They're using the veneer of God to appear as if they themselves are holy. And listen, this is a very dangerous game. It's a dangerous game to pretend to be closer to God than we actually are. So we live in, in Marysville, Ohio, and I, I've been here almost three years now. And one thing I'm still trying to determine is, 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 this still, is this still part of the Bible Belt? Anybody know? Are we in the Bible Belt? Are they around the edge of the Bible Belt? See, I grew up in southern Ohio, uh, which, is, which is definitely considered part of the Bible Belt. Now, I'm about to say something, and I want you to hear what I say and not hear what I'm not saying. Okay. I grew up in the Bible, Bible Belt, and, and here's what I love. The air that I grew up breathing was one that had a hint and a flavor of the gospel, and yet it wasn't the gospel. Right? So I grew up in an area where everyone was thought to be a Christian by virtue of the fact that that's where they lived. Now here's what, here's what I love about that, because the gospel, what that means is the gospel at one point in time was so pervasive, so all-encompassing in the area where I grew up that it enveloped around us a society, around a group of people defined by the geographical borders that to be associated with this area then is to be associated with Christianity. Now, I love that because the gospel is that powerful. But the good news of Christ is that powerful to change the way whole cities live, right? So imagine Paul in the book of Acts, right? He's getting run out of town because all those sinful shops have actually closed up doors and it's actually hurting the financial income of those who are in charge of those things. And they're like, hey, like, the whole city's out here banning all this bad stuff and, you know, like, burning it 
we got to get this guy out of town. The gospel can change entire cities. That's the point. But what I hate about this type of Christianity is the assumption that all the folks in the area are actually Christian, when in reality they've missed the gospel, but they think they actually have it. You see, that's the danger. Because I don't know if you've ever talked to someone who, uh, who claims to be a Christian, and yet their life bears no marks of true repentance, true following after Christ, a true discipleship in the, the local church. Like, there's no association with any of that, and yet they'll claim to be a Christian. This is dangerous. This is a very dangerous dream. You see, these scribes were pretending to be something that they were not, and that's dangerous because when that they think that they actually are, they become inoculated to actual true Christianity. You see, those who think that they're Christians but aren't actually Christians don't actually think that they need to become Christians because they think that they already are. The point Jesus is making here is that we should beware of these types of people, that we should be on guard against them. And did you notice that the thread, uh, the thread that kind of runs through all of these buckets, all six of these traits, this desire to be seen, this destruction of others, this deceptive piety, did you notice the single thread that kind of ties all these things together? What common element runs throughout of these? If we were to boil it down to a single element for which we should be on the lookout for, what would it be? Which brings me to point number two. The attributes of those who should be avoided are almost always impossible to see from the outside. Think about it. The attributes of those who should be avoided are almost always impossible to see from the outside. You see, I imagine the Jews standing there listening to Jesus teach, were processing what they heard. And at first, they might begin to think, you know what? Maybe my scribe back home in our synagogue does actually like to be seen by others. Like, maybe they are praying on the weak. Like, maybe he really isn't that holy. But then on his way back home from Jerusalem, perhaps he began to question himself, how do I actually know that? (coughs) How do I know that? You see, it's easy for us to think, okay, cool, we know these people. We know who we should avoid. We know exactly the type of people Jesus is telling us to stay away from. And so let's go stay away from it. My question to you is, do you actually know? Think back through the list. Walking around in long robes, being greeted in the marketplace, sitting up front at church, long prayers. Jesus isn't saying any of these things in and of themselves are wrong. Jesus isn't saying that, you know what? We should definitely be praying shorter prayers. Because that means you're more holy. Jesus isn't saying, you see all these millennials these days refusing to wear a suit and tie to church? They're more holy. Jesus isn't saying, see those churches that don't have chairs on the stage? They're more holy. What Jesus is saying, that it's the desire behind these attributes which make them wrong. The attributes of those who should be avoided are almost always impossible to see from the outside. Why? Because Jesus is talking about the desire of their hearts. He's talking about the intentionality behind why they're doing what they're doing. And that's almost always impossible to see from the outside of someone's life. So, how do we know? How do we really know which scribes we should be avoiding here? There's two ways. 
One is through actually being sincere. Through actually being sincere. Really, there's just one way. It's how do you know that these folks are sincere in the intentionality behind what they're doing? And that's through community. It's through doing life together. You see, we know which scribes, which Pharisees, which people to avoid. We know which ones to beware of through the church. You see, the context that Jesus is teaching here is primarily towards teachers, right? That's what he's saying. These scribes, these religious elite. So, like, if we were to transplant us back into that day, that would be me, right? The, the pastor of a church, the leader, spiritual leader of a group of people. But I wonder if there's a secondary application here for all of us. You see, there, isn't there a sense in which Jesus might actually be talking about you here? You who come to church every week. You who give money to the church and to charity often. You who desire to be seen by others as being good and moral and upright. Is it possible that Jesus is here talking about you? Like, which of you have ever had to bow your head in public to give a public, out loud prayer and never thought to yourself, what will these people think about me? Is there a sense in which Jesus might be saying that you, in your own heart, are simply doing all these Christian things so that you might be seen? So how do you know if your heart is in the right place? That's what it boils down to. How do we know if the scribes' hearts are in the right place? And the answer is through community, through life together. How do you know whether you can trust your own heart? How do you know if you're operating your Christian life out of selfish motivations or a true love for the Lord? The answer is the church, the local body of believers who you do life with. All right, this is why I'm always preaching and teaching that the Christian life is not a Sylvester Stallone Rambo mission. You know you are a Christian by being fully known by the members of Christ's body whom you do life together with. And listen, you can't do that virtually. I know there's a big push in our day and age to do all things over the internet. The realities on which Jesus is putting his finger in this passage this morning should be made no more clear than on social media in our days. You want to know how quick you can build a fake image of your own spirituality and godliness? Try it with your social media pages. You can literally curate, define, fill in, collar, make 3D or 4D or 2D. Your own image online these days can be completely unknown by anybody. And it is these dangers which Christ is saying to avoid. He's saying, don't be like that. Beware of the people who are doing it just for appearance's sake, and yet there is no internal motivation of the heart to actually live it. Don't be someone who claims to know the truth without actually knowing it. You see what he's saying? When you can, in reality, know it. So let's look at this offering as an object lesson. Look at verse 41. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. <coughs> Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of the abundance, but she out of the poverty has put in everything she had. 
all she had to live on. Mark tells us that Jesus has given this teaching of being on guard against the scribes who love to be seen by others without actually knowing God. And when he, then he says the very next thing Jesus does is sits down outside the giving box of the church and he sees this widow puts in the lowest amount possible. And Jesus says she has truly put in more than all those who are contributing. Now, surely the disciples sitting there with him, having seen all the rich people come by, put in their extravagant amounts, must have been thinking to themselves, wait, what? What, what did he say? She put in two copper pieces. Jesus, did you not see the other folk come in? Surely you're mistaken. Surely the amount this widow has given is just a rounding error. And almost anticipating these types of thoughts the disciples may have had, he explains why it is more than all the rich people. You see, she has given everything she had, he says. She has given all she has to live on. He says they gave out of their abundance, but she gave out of her poverty. What is Jesus saying here? He is saying that the heart behind the widow's offering proves that her, sincere, that her heart is sincere. Compare the widow with the scribes here. The scribes want to be seen by others. This widow would have went unnoticed by anyone. The scribes were making a pretense of knowing God, and the widow had no audience for which to to make a pretense for. The scribes were the ones to whom others looked up to. The widow would have been looked down upon. The scribes lived a faked version of religiosity, while this widow lived an authentic Faith. You see, the main thing Jesus is driving home here is as the last lesson inside the temple is that the intentions of the heart matter infinitely more than the external signs. Think with me here for a moment. Who knew about this widow? Who knew that she this day would come in with two copper pieces? Jesus did. Jesus did. Jesus sits down and she just happens to come on by. You see, Jesus seen this woman walking out her authentic faith in God enough to give all she had. Jesus sees this widow whom no one else would have thought to see. I think about it. Compare and contrast the widows and the scribes here. The scribes wanted to be seen. Like, like they, that's, what, that's what was driving all of their motivation. We just want to be seen, Jesus. We want folks to see how cool we are. Look at how religious we are. Look at how much we love the Lord. Look at how much we know the scriptures. Look how faithful I am to church. Look how faithful, look how long I can pray, Lord. See me, see me, see me. Look at me, everyone, look at me. This widow passes by almost unnoticed. Think about it. If Jesus hadn't sat down outside this giving box, you and I wouldn't know of her. The most famous offering in all of church history is this woman's. Because in it she teaches us what it looks like to actually love God. She teaches us what it actually means to walk out the faith She loved Jesus enough to give everything she had. She loved the Lord enough to give everything she had. She didn't care who was seeing her. She didn't. 
She had no idea that the Lord of the universe was right there watching her give her two copper coins. So the question, the application for us today is, in your life, in your ministry that you do, either inside the church or outside the church, we will always be plagued with the question, was we seen? Does anyone know what we've done here? Does anyone, did anyone take note? Did anyone write it down? Did anyone see me? You see, the question is the same for both of these stories. And the question that we should answer is, who do we want to be seen by? Who do we want to be seen by? On the one hand, you can be seen by others. You can do your good works. You can have your church attendance. You can have uh, all of your things, all of your Christian things, and be seen by the world and be applauded. People say, good job. And you're so godly. And we love you. And not know Jesus. Jesus doesn't see you. Matter of fact, he's telling folks to stay away. Beware of those people. Or, you can do all of your Christian things, you can go to church, you can have your church attendance, you can have your scripture reading, you can have your givings to the church, and everyone sees you and says, man, good job, we love you, brother, we love you, sister, and the Lord sees you. What's the difference? You see, it's hard to tell the difference between the two. The difference between the two is, what's the motivation of your heart? See, Jesus isn't, he's not putting on blast those who do good things. That would be antithetical to the rest of the scriptures. He's saying the motivation behind the heart of why you do what you do needs to be Jesus. And it was this Jesus whom we love and this Jesus whom we serve and this Jesus whom we all gathered here this morning to worship together. It's the same Jesus who gave his life for us. Who had infinite worth infinite glory and set it aside to put on human flesh. In a few weeks, we're going to celebrate the, the coming of Jesus as a man. Like, that should just continually blow our minds. The God of the universe became like you and me. Went through the sufferings of life like you and me. Died on the cross in our place where we should have died. Was buried as you and I should have been buried and yet was ro rose again to life and now walks in new life so that you and I would have new life. Like Paul would say that like, if we've been buried and, and if we've been killed and buried with Christ and, and if Jesus is now resurrected from the dead, then listen, what that means for you and I is that we now have new life. We have resurrected life. In Christ, you and I are made new. You see, we don't have to be like the scribes, pretending to be something we're not. We have the real thing. We can read the book. We can memorize the commandments and understand the purpose behind the commandments, loving God and loving our neighbor, and then we are empowered through the Spirit to actually go and do it. Again, the, the point of the passage today is that the intentions of the heart are worth infinitely more 
than the external signs. Therefore, let us be changed by that. Let us have new hearts in Christ. Let us walk out our faith in tangible, real ways, but not to be seen by others, but to be seen by God and God alone. Father God, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for this passage, Lord. Lord, so quick we are to think, well, he's talking about those people. He ain't talking about us. Father, may we pause for a moment this morning to understand the intentions of our own hearts. Why do we do it? Why, why do we show up here today? Why do we sing praises to you today? Why do we give our money in the offering box? If we're doing it for any other reason besides of our love for you and a trust in who you are and the finished work of Christ on the cross, Lord, I pray you would change our hearts. I pray you would change us more into the image of Christ. I pray we wouldn't miss the point behind all of this, behind all the scriptures, the Old Testament and the New, all of them point that Jesus Christ is Lord. I pray we bow our knees now in recognition of that. I pray you help us today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.